Welcome back to Dragging the Dead, the only show that aims to speak ill of the dead. I'm Tim. What's up, Lance and Jen? I feel like I'm riding the stallion, the wild stallion, into the burning stable. Did you call me John? What's up, John? <laughs> Johnny! Jonathan, how you doing today? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm always ready to drag these dastardly dead people. Uh, man, I got a, I got a doozy today. Who is it? <laughs> nice try. <laughs> That's just the show. We just name three people and we call it a day. And done. <laughs> you know, I think this is very therapeutic, not only for us, but for the listener and also for the for the memory of these people. I feel like it's sort of like a like a second baptism of, of sorts. Once you've made it onto this show, you have been posthumously baptized so we should really be cardinals or whatever they call people who can baptize people Mm -hmm. yeah dragging the single-handedly putting psychologists and priests out of business i mean we'll take on the catholic church i don't give a shit it's only a matter of time is it dead (laughs) basically and of course this show uh the premise is we each bring a person with us into this conversation that person is unknown to the other participants and that one person is trying to drag that person and the other two are trying to tell them why you know what why that person isn't so bad and i'm gonna say we bring the person not to the table but to the slab like a human sacrifice the altar who you got all right They can be described as the Donald Trump of painters in the sense that he was a megalomaniacal misogynist. Picasso! Yeah, you think misogyny in painting and you think of Picasso. So is my case rested? I I have a hard time with this one. I'm going to have to do some cool, (laughs) some binging here. I, I, you know, do you want to start again, Jen? Because this is so off the mark, I feel like. Maybe we should uh, run this one back. No, I think I'll, I'll charge forward because <laughs> I'll first, I'll start by um, tackling his work, his art, because it's too easy to say that he abused women and all the members of his family. I'll get to those points, but I'll start with his art. He's quoted as saying, good artists copy great artists steal. And this would be a through line through Picasso's life. So what's what's Picasso famous for? What's uh, What style of art is he famous for? Finger painting. <laughs> Paintings, yes, but cubism, right? Cubism, yes. So he's, I guess, known as the artist who popularized the style of cubism. But he actually didn't come up with this idea. He was part of Gertrude Stein's artistic salon in Paris during the 20s and she actually came up with the concept of cubism which she was tackling through writing which made for some pretty confusing reading but the whole movement came from her and not Picasso. Imitation is the best form of flattery. He was flattering her. But by his own definition he was copying. Well I want to say that he just simply recognized that the way of the times was that if she had gone out there and become the foremost person on cubism, she would have been unnecessarily just taken down. Her, 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 her reputation would have been sullied as a man. He put it on his shoulders to forward that movement so that she didn't have to bear that burden. So I say, you say copying, I say, uh, I say martyr. 
<laughs> Bearing the brunt of that burden. Here's one check in his column. The Nazis wouldn't let him uh, display his paintings in Germany. That's a good. Right. It was so bad that even the Nazis <laughs> wouldn't display his paintings. Or it was so good they, you know, because Hitler was such a bad artist, they didn't want Picasso to show him up. That makes sense. Two megalomaniacs competing <laughs> for attention. Um, anyway, so let's move on to the women in his life. So after a few affairs in his young adulthood, he married a woman named Olga Koklova, and she bore him a son. But during the course of their marriage, he continued to have numerous affairs with younger women, um, but he refused to divorce Olga because he would have to give up half of his wealth. So she ended up dying, still married to him, and still penniless in 1955. Well, that's all uh, speculation. It's not. She, she, it is two facts. Well, how did she die? Cancer. I'm sure he was uh, very gracious in his um, in his eulogy of her. <laughs> we have no record of a eulogy, but yeah, you, I guess you can speculate there. But let's say by the time of Picasso's death in 1973, his second wife, his long-term mistress, granted he was married, he had a mistress at the same time, and his grandson all committed suicide, and his oldest son drank himself to death. So I would venture to say that all those close to him were just terribly physically, emotionally abused. Maybe, maybe. But I choose to focus on the good and, uh, and the brilliance of his artistry. He was, a, he was a scholar. You know, he studied at the Royal Academy. Other alumni include uh, Philippe Padrell and uh, Francisco Goya was once uh, one of the Academy's directors. I no longer eat his beans. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Salvador Dali, too. He was a famous alumni. How could a person who once said, others have seen what is and asked why, I have seen what could be and asked why not? I mean, how can... I'm just so prophetic. It's so profane and so... Profane, yes. Pro... Profound. Profound. <laughs> I mean, the ego on this guy... I mean, come on. This this is the same man who would uh, write checks instead of paying by cash or credit because the check with his signature was worth more that people wouldn't cash the check. They would just keep the check. So he never had to pay for anything. But what kind of ego, what kind of God complex must Pablo have had to be able to do this? That is just reality. He was a famous painter he was basically just a celebrity walking around a signature is better than money clearly you're right he did walk around <laughs> every act of creation is first of all an act of destruction come on whoa mind blown is that a lance reinsterner original that is that you would think so it's very close it's very close it's actually uh, pablo picasso Sorry, I get the two of you confused. He experimented with a lot of different kinds of work, too. I know you sort of blaming blame him for stealing cubism, but are you going to blame him for stealing uh, his African influence period, too? That's true. That's definitely not cultural appropriation at all. Right. Uh, he was also a communist. Huh? Hey, I, for one, still maintain several allegiances to some very popular communist tenants. That's interesting. So much so that you would join a communist party during the time of Stalin? I'd join a communist party if it was 
in the downtown square where I live, and we were all dancing under the moonlight. I mean, that sounds lovely. I'll be honest. Doesn't it? Certainly one way to look at communism. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually a very stupid way to look at it. You said it. <laughs> Throw any leader up there. I'll join. Give me a strong personality and I'll follow. Strong personality, a solid mustache, and I'm right there. So Picasso also carried a pistol with him pew, pew. anywhere he went. And uh, he loaded this pistol with blanks. And anytime he was locked in conversation with somebody who bored him or was annoying him, he would shoot the pistol. <laughs> Oh, my God. That is like a dream. And obviously, safety first with the blanks. Sure, but that would be terrifying. (laughs) That's the life lesson for the speaker. Imagine being shot by Picasso. I mean, what I'm thinking isn't, why did he shoot me? I'm thinking, why am I so goddamn boring that I got shot? Yeah, it's like the gong show. Once again, ahead of his time. Imagine if you were like Picasso's neighbor and like he forgot to take out the trash or something. You'd be like, knock, knock. Picasso, could next Tuesday, could you please bang? I love Picasso now. I resent this entire conversation now, Jen. Yeah, I mean, it is actually slightly charming, the pistol thing. <laughs> it really is when you think about it. <laughs> I wish I could do that. I wish I thought of it. So most of the people that were scarred by Picasso's dealings with them did not speak out against him because he was kind of all-powerful. He's a very famous artist, except his granddaughter. His granddaughter actually wrote a whole book about what an asshole he was. I'll quote, His brilliant oeuvre demanded human sacrifices, she writes. He drove everyone who got near him to despair and engulfed them. No one in my family ever managed to escape from the stranglehold of this genius. He needed blood to sign each of his paintings. My father's blood, my brother's, my mother's, my grandmother's, and mine. He needed the blood of those who loved him. I mean, it sounds a little dramatic with all the blood and sacrifice, etc. We're speaking in metaphors, really. I mean, how would he have his point be properly communicated to those who were not as like intellectually superior you know as as he was he was he was intellectually and artistically superior to most people so yes he would have had to have used these um strong uh aggressive uh tendencies i guess to to have people really you know to understand whether or not people were just with him for the money and the fame or whether they actually liked him i feel bad for the guy it was actual quite literal blood he was physically abusive Well, I mean, you say metaphor. You said metaphor. Potato, potato. Tomato, tomato. How could you hate somebody with 17 first names, though? (laughs) You want to talk about someone disturbing. You want to talk about blood. You want to talk about sacrifice. Look no further. I'm talking about the worst son of a bitch in the history of history. I'm going to love dragging this piece of shit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There is a popular, legendary, even, character in pop culture that is apparently based on this person. Vlad the Impaler. Nailed it. From Romania in the 1400s, though I think his, his homeland is often confused with Transylvania, we are talking about Vlad Dracul, otherwise known as Vlad the Impaler. And uh, some people think that Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, was based on Vlad the Impaler, which it likely had some, which it likely was. Do you guys know anything about impaling and, and what this guy actually did to tens of thousands of people? He is estimated to have killed 80,000 people. 
through various means. This includes about 20,000 who were impaled. Eh, They probably deserved it. I mean, what time are we talking like 1400s? He wasn't impaled. <laughs> well, it is particularly gruesome, and Vlad, old Vladdy boy, he uh, he did it in a way that was more torturous than, you know, he was going out of his way to torture people. He would stick this pole, it was either wood or metal, and he would stick it through the rectum or vagina, and the exit wound could be near the victim's neck, shoulders or mouth and in some cases the pole was rounded not sharp to avoid damaging internal organs as it passed through your body therefore prolonging the suffering of the victim and then and then the pole was erected raised vertically to display the victim's torment sometimes for days before they died That doesn't sound pleasant. I mean, how else are you supposed to lead a people back then? I mean, there's no social media. This is just like their version of social media. Today, he would be called Vlad the Troller. (laughs) Or the murderer. But you're probably not wrong in that he did do PR stunts. One PR stunt he had was this 20,000 people who were impaled and displayed outside the city of Targoviste. And the sight was so repulsive that the invading Ottoman army, after seeing the scale of this forest of impaled bodies, 20,000 of them, the Ottoman army decided uh, this wasn't worth it. And they uh, they, they headed back to uh, Constantinople. So that seems like a pretty effective leader to me. He avoided a war. How many more would have died if he had not done that? Well, it is true that some people credit him for bringing order and stability to the land of Wallachia. His rule was undisputably vicious. He had such a sick sadism about him. He, he just loved impaling people. He, he wanted to impale everyone he could. There was one time he was walking around with an envoy of diplomats that were supposedly, you know, working with him. This was in 1459. And he said, you guys, take your hats off and bow to me. Show me that respect. They said, no, our religious beliefs are going to keep our hats on our heads. You know what Vlad did? Impaled them? He had their hats nailed to their heads. Oh, even better. I mean, creative? Creative? He didn't seem too creative, though, because he was impaling all these people. It's like, why choose that method? Didn't he get bored of impaling so many people? Wouldn't he be like, guillotine for this one? I think it was sadism. I think he might have been the inventor of the assembly line. Well, it definitely wasn't Ford. Just line them up, impale, done. In Vlad's own words, in a letter written to a military ally in 1462, he says, I have killed peasants, men and women, old and young, who lived at Ublutsika and Novoselo, where the Danube flows into the sea. We killed 23,884 Turks without counting those whom we burned in homes or the Turks whose heads were cut by our soldiers. Thus, your highness, you know that I have broken the peace. Jesus. Two sides to every story here. He's just rubbing it in. He's like, yeah, I think I declared war. (laughs) Well, I mean, you got to give him points for being cheeky. And you know what? Everyone needs a good sense of humor when you're in the middle of all of this. What is it? It's going to be death and destruction all the time. He's like, he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're dead. Wink, wink. I think this is all like an elaborate defensive strategy, because if he didn't impale others, 
they would impale him and his people. What about the servant who was uh, serving him dinner on a box that was full of one of his enemies uh, that who was left in there to starve and dehydrate to death? He was Vlad was eating dinner. He was to be served among this forest of impaled bodies, and his servant sneezed. Guys, he sneezed. You know what happened to that guy? Impaled. Yeah, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> well, a. Vlad probably was a little bit nervous about uh, germs because I heard that his uh, his old nickname was Vlad the germophobic. <laughs> and so I can understand that. Also, truly a, a, a person who can appreciate irony in the literal real world sense. I mean, someone's starving in the box that you are eating on top of. I mean, that is just it's irony gold. I definitely appreciated iron and irony. And there were rumors that he used to dip his bread in the blood of his victims. Um, it is unconfirmed whether that's true or not. But based on the level of sadism that we've got that's confirmed to this point, I'm going to just go ahead and say that's probably true. Maybe it's very tasty. I'm actually wondering why he just didn't drink the blood straight out. Why is he even like using the bread to dilute it? He's like the virgin queen who used to like kill maidens and drink their blood. Oh, Elizabeth Bathory. Yeah, yeah, in order to, like, stay young or whatever. Maybe it was just, you know, nice regimen to, to keep him looking fresh. Well, thank goodness he was eventually killed. Was he impaled? After ruling for about 20 years, he was not. But he was killed in 1477 in battle, January 10th. Thank God. And we lose another hero. And he was quoted as saying, death is but a door, time is but a window, I'll be back. Oh, shit. Just kidding, that's Vigo from Ghostbusters 2. sounds like something he would say i mean but he kind of was he did come back like in myth and in popular culture i mean we haven't even tackled the fact that we would never have bram stoker's dracula a masterpiece in the english canon we would never have that story if not for vlad the impaler i agree and i don't think there could even be a fictional version of this story that compares to the real-life horror uh, that Vlad the Impaler uh, inflicted on that region. Yeah, this guy seems way worse (laughs) than Dracula ever was. He was, like, kind of sexy. Yeah, vampires are, like, sexy, uh, you know, and they'll bite your neck, and it's kind of, like, playful sometimes. Sometimes they want a little blood, sometimes not. I don't know. This guy, yeah, he's he's after your blood. True hero, someone who didn't mince words. Actually, words are probably the only thing he didn't mince. Everything else was pretty minced. But uh, yeah, if I was alive back then and I had him leading me, sign me up. Sign me up for battle. I'm going in. I'm grabbing my stake, and I'm going in. I'm 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 heading in with my spear, and we're gonna do some impaling. Did Vlad have a sufficient mustache for you, Lance? Yeah, that is a sick stash. He's almost got the ear to ear stash going. I attribute that to him riding on his horse so fast that it spreads out across his face. Those eyes have seen some shit. Those are like cult leader eyes. Yeah, they're pure evil. My guy was an impaler too, but of a different sort. Mine was famous for portraying a fictionalized character. And this fictionalized character that he was famous for was also portrayed by other actors later on in several remakes. But none of these actors were as dastardly as the original one. And I would say that uh, not a lot of people know about the dark side of my particular... uh, person whose character would rob from the rich and give to the poor, which is the total opposite of this man. Robin Hood. 
The character is Robin Hood. Uh, who played Robin Hood? Kevin Costner. He was one of the good ones. Douglas Fairbanks. Douglas Fairbanks is incorrect. I don't know. Errol Flynn? Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn, ladies and gentlemen. How much do you know of Errol Flynn? This guy's legendary. He's Hollywood royalty. You're practically throwing an egg at the Queen of England right now. I don't even know where to start with Errol Flynn because he was such a scumbag, but I can't fault him for being such a despicable type person. I have to really fault his parents. (laughs) One of his biographers or one of the biographers who studied him said that he's never experienced somebody who was quite possibly more damaged at the hands of their parents. Errol Flynn's mother was impregnated by she was she was a famous woman Uh, she was impregnated by a very wealthy man um, but she did not want young Errol and Errol was quoted to be the worst thing that's ever happened to her so right from the jump our boy Errol has not uh, got a good start going for him there are countless accounts of this man having illicit affairs with young women no older than 17 years old And would you like to know what he would say when he was asked about these affairs that he would have with underage girls? What did he say? This is an actual quote from him at a Vancouver airport. A reporter asked him about these affairs and why he seemed to uh, always be surrounded by underage girls. And Errol, without missing a beat, fired back his arrow and said, because they f*** so good. This is Robin Hood. Well, I mean, he doesn't have to be. He's not on the clock all the time. Uh, Wow. Pardon me, guys, if I'm zoning out a little bit. I'm just watching some Errol Flynn dance numbers. Wow. What a showman. Holy mackerel. He was a good dancer. He was also a very good writer. He he grew up to be a good, uh, good writer, a good dancer. And he was uh, very fond of female dancers, too. Uh, he had a girlfriend, Beverly Adlin, who was a 17-year-old dancer that he had met when she was 15 under the false pretense that he was going to cast her in a film. So uh, he was pulling one of those uh, Pornhub-type moves and saying it's a casting couch uh, situation. And two years later, she is caught in his clutches. Wow. Uh yeah, that's age old in Hollywood. That's been going on since the uh, beginning of time. <laughs> his not saying it's right. <laughs> his exploits are so disgusting. I don't even know where to start. I'm I'm bouncing through different articles here, and there are some movies and some biographies that paint him in such a good light. Not one of these biographies was something called My Wicked, Wicked Ways, which he ghost wrote. He had that ghost written. This is a book in which he claimed to have taken part in piracy on the South Seas. He claimed to have killed a man in Papua New Guinea. He claimed to have smoked opium in Hong Kong and engaged with Nazis, smuggled guns to the Spanish Civil War provided guns to the Spanish Civil War. And this was all allegedly, supposedly, before he hit it big in Hollywood and before he started to sleep around and and embark upon these exploits in Hollywood. This is a man who wanted to be this 
world-traveling, swashbuckling man of adventure, I don't know whether to believe this or not. This is all allegations. It is not to be believed. This is fake news. Uh, Flynn actually became a naturalized American citizen in August of 1942. And with the United States fully involved in the Second World War, he, he, he tried to enlist. He put his money where his mouth is. He says, screw this Nazi bullshit. I'm going to fight them. And he tried to enlist in the armed services. However, he failed the physical exam due to a re recurrent malaria, heart murmur, and uh, general, uh, you know, a bunch of venereal diseases and tuberculosis. But, you know, he tried. He tried. <laughs> I will I will credit you with that. Good research. He did attempt to enlist into the military during World War II. He was rejected as a 4F uh, due to, like you said, all of his, uh, I, I, from what they say, a cocktail of ailments, uh, including venereal disease, and an enlarged heart, and he had a tumor on his lung. He was pretty much a, a walking time bomb. He even threw some heroin in there just to uh, see if that could offset some of the drinking and womanizing. I mean, why not at that point? I mean, you got to branch out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you got to really play the field on that one. Now, I don't want to be a... Uh, I don't want to I don't want to shame somebody because of their addictions and I don't want to shame anybody because of their upbringings and, and what that did to them. But at some point, Errol really saw that he was the toast of the town and he took advantage of it. And it's mostly the rampant uh, molestation of young women that has got my gears grinded here. I mean, I can't really defend that, but I did run across this quote from Errol. He said, the public has always expected me to be a playboy and a decent chap never lets his public down. So who's complicit here? Is it him or is it us for allowing it to happen? Ooh, I like how you twisted that. No, I agree with you, Jen. I believe that we probably all are a little too complacent. I think we all do prop up our celebrities a little too high on a pedestal, uh, much like the way Errol Flynn's friends propped up a dead John Barrymore on his couch as a prank. Wait, an actual dead body? Which is just how those guys partied back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, what a good one. Zing. Wow. See, he loved just joking around and hanging out at celebrities' houses. He used to hang out at the Hearst Castle. That place is beautiful with William Randolph Hearst. And he he was famous. Well, he was famous and he knew he was famous. But, you know, he really had an issue with what he was known for. He was quoted as saying, I had by now made about 45 pictures. And what had I become? I knew all too well. Do you guys know what he thought he had become at that point? A legend. Not a pirate. A phallic symbol. Huh? Even in his self-denigration, maybe, is that the word I'm looking for? He still needed to promote his penis. He goes on to say, all around the world I was as a name and as a personality equated with sex. The Charge of the Light Brigade? That was a good one. <laughs> hey, his movies, his movies were probably top-notch. Uh, as we've often discussed, when do you separate the art from the artist? And I think... Probably not going to be watching many uh, Flynn movies. I'm probably not going to sit down this weekend and check out The Dawn Patrol. And that's why you're a beta boy. This guy was the epitome of, of masculinity. 
He was a chain-smoking, hard-drinking man in the 40s. What are we doing here? What are we, we canceling this guy? This guy was a man. We are not only canceling Errol Flynn, but I'd like to just go ahead and cancel Robin Hood, honestly. Okay, yeah, I'm into that. Living in the woods? I mean, he did make dancing masculine. I will give him that. I mean, even with tights on, that was still masculine. So he did do a lot for the men's movement. (laughs) He made dancing masculine even with tights on, and that did a lot for the men's movement. (laughs) Tim's wearing tights right now. (laughs) Tim just burst out of his tights. Oh, Jesus. I will wrap it up here. I know I could go on and on about him. Uh, but I want to conclude with the words of actor David Niven, who uh, rented a house with him and wrote uh, a series of best-selling memoirs about his time in Hollywood. And of Errol Flynn, he wrote, you can rely on Errol Flynn. He will always let you down. I've actually never heard of Errol Flynn until this show. But you've heard the saying, in like Flynn. Nope. That's very famous because he's a very famous man. This man was so arrogant and so full of his sexual prowess that the original title for the ghost-written book, My Wicked, Wicked Ways, was actually supposed to be called, he wanted it to be called, In Like Me. In Like Me, which is a take on In Like Flynn. So that statement, that term, that derogatory, horrible, toxic term, In Like Flynn, comes from how quickly Errol Flynn could bed women, how quickly he'd be in women. And he apparently really dug that idea. Well, I think he's handsome. 